listening to Rattle and Pedal, diversion thoughts on marketing and growing professional services firms. Your hosts are Jason Malicki and Jeff McKay. All right, Jeff. So last time we talked, like any good storyteller, we left our listeners on a cliffhanger. <laughs> did you plan that? <laughs> you planned that. I did. I did. It's a good, it's an old fashioned 50s serial, right? You know, is the hero going to make it over the well or not? We'll see you next um, week. Same bad time, same bad channel. Exactly. <laughs> Half our listeners don't even know what that means, but we all were introduced to it in Toy Story 2, if nothing else, right? Yeah. So, yeah, so we left our, our listeners with it on a cliffhanger. We went through the first three of seven basic plots or, or story archetypes that can be used in marketing a firm or developing a firm's thought leadership or developing its marketing agenda. And so today we're going to tackle the other four. We got to do it in just under 20 some minutes. So, jump in. Hey, before we jump in, the yeah. thought occurred to me, being the introvert that I am, I always have an idea after the meeting ends and the phone call hangs up. I relate to that. Well, here's what I should have said. Why did I say that? <laughs> well, well, we talked about that this concept, the storytelling concept that Rattleback is discussing is applicable at the brand level, at the marketing and thought leadership level, and at the, sa- the sales level. And the last one that we talked about was the quest. And we had a robust discussion about that. I was going to say Lord of the Flies, <laughs> Lord of the Rain <laughs> in that quest. Oh, Lord of the Flies. Yeah. What kind of archetype is that one? Yeah. <laughs> Definitely not a quest. No, the, the Lord of the Flies is probably the quintessential professional services story. Which made me think, <laughs> which made me start thinking. And we didn't get all the partners evolve and, and try to kill each other. <laughs> <laughs> is that the quest never ends. And that is yeah. very much a brand positioning story. And I was thinking about that from a prudent pedal perspective and, you know, my kind of pushing of prudence, which many of my marketing friends said, don't go down that route, but I chose to go anyway. But that is one of those concepts where you believe in it wholeheartedly and its importance, and you're going to be fighting that battle for good for the rest of your work life or firm life or whatever. And that quest very much comes out of who you are as a, as a human being. And the thing that was really cool about that storyline is I think if you get to that very innate and very human driver, the quest can be very, very powerful for how you position your firm and its thought leadership, but it takes risk. I don't want to get too far down the path because we we went out of time, but at our Profiting from Thought Leadership event, 2018, we had a senior thought leadership marketer from Fidelity there. And she was talking about how they've applied design thinking to their thought leadership programs. And the big takeaway that she had on that was this idea of falling in love with a problem. And it's the idea that most firms fall in love with the solution, right? Mm. So we have a solution to a problem. Maybe we haven't even defined the problem, Mm -hmm. but we want to produce thought leadership around this great novel solution we have. And her point was that the thought leadership is all about the problem. And the quest essentially is we are on an endless quest to elucidate a better solution to the problem. And that quest will probably never end because there's always a better solution to the problem. We just haven't found it yet. Wow. So that to me is is actually in a way going to be one of the most quintessential governing aspects of thought leadership. You know, if you're if you're going to invest in thought leadership, that's the lens by which I think you should approach it. Is just this recognition that you pursue the problem. So anyway, once again, you said wow, wow, 
Once again, Jason Malicki floors his co-host with his insights. <laughs> I love that. If our listeners take nothing else away, changing your firm's view to fall in love with the problem, which will make the hair on the back of your partner's neck stand up, that would fundamentally change your firm and how it communicates with the market. I love that. I love that. Fall in love with the problem. Yeah. I can't take credit for that insight. Uh, certainly, I can take credit for applying it. But yeah, Jeannie Thompson at Fidelity brought it out in our event. And, and it was probably the like looking back, you know, the event as a story. And I think about the arc of the story and the arc of the journey in that event over the day and a half. That was like the quintessential moment that came out where you were like, wow, there's the aha. There's my price of admission for, for two days being here. Mm-hmm. Was, you know, getting this great insight. So. All right. So you want to talk about archetype number four here? So so story plot number four. Yeah. If you would stop meandering around and get to the point, our (laughs) listeners want to know four through seven. So hurry up, Jason. All right. I'll get moving here. So, so voyage and return is is sort of plot number four. And what I love about the voyage and return is to me, the great example is the wizard of Oz, right? You know, so the, the hero or the heroine finds themselves in a strange place, a strange land. They're maybe feeling lost. They're feeling uncertain. They don't understand where they are. They have to get their bearings. And eventually they have learnings while they're there. And then when they come back, they sort of see the whole world differently. So that voyage, that experience takes them on this journey of discovery that brings them back and they see the world from a whole new light. I love this archetype for research. So as the framework for how to think about research and how to publish research findings for thought leadership. And and so what I mean by that is that layer one is I believe strongly that research should not be driven by the hypothesis. The research should be driven by the discovery. So you don't necessarily want to go into new thought leadership research saying, well, our hypothesis is this. Now let's go prove that we're right. You want to go into it saying, I think this is how this problem is solved. Now I want to go see if that's a true statement or not and see if I can discover a better way to solve it than I previously realized. And that's sort of the lens on how research should be done. And then, of course, when you tell the story of the research you did, you use that same lens. You say, hey, we went on this voyage of discovery, learned this. Here's what we come back and here's what it means. And that's a story that clients can get excited about and get behind. And that really reinforces what we were just talking about. When you go out with a kind of a spirit of discovery, that's because you're in love with the problem versus the hypothesis, which would be... I'm in love with the solution. And I get the reality that you need a a solution because your client wants to fix a problem and you want to make money. But it is, I love that hypothesis and discovery. It's a great way of, of looking at just the words themselves can shift how you think about what you're doing. I really like that. You said a couple of things that were interesting to me, and it's that the hero returns Mm -hmm. That it's not a one-way trip. It is a return. So you take your client out, but you have to get them back. And I'm working with a client now that is using a metaphor for climbing a mountain and helping their clients reach the top of the mountain. And most people think, yeah, that's the goal is to reach the top of the mountain. Well, no, the goal isn't just to reach the top of the mountain. The goal is to reach the top of the mountain and get back down safely. And I think that's an element that sometimes gets lost. I really like that. And then the the other thing, I don't think you said this, but I remember reading it because it resonated with me. 
is that the hero discovers that they've always had within them this gift, this talent, this courage, or whatever it is that they didn't know they had. I think that's an incredible gift that firms can give to their clients to say, it was you, you could have done this all along. Sure, we did it together, but it was you and you had it all the time. You know, like Dorothy clicking her shoes in The Wizard of Oz and saying there's no place like home. I think that's those are the cool elements of of this story type. Well, yeah, I mean, it's interesting because that, you know, as you know, in the evolution of consulting, that's certainly more and more of consulting work is becoming about knowledge transfer, really. So there's certainly a desire for clients to get more of that, right? They, they, they don't want you just to come in and solve the problem. They want you to come in and build up the capabilities of the internal team and solve the problem all at the same time. Mm-hmm. So there's, there's a big piece to that. Yeah. All right. The next one. All right. So the fifth archetype is the comedy archetype. And this one's probably the most challenging to really wrap your head around and understand, at least in in my experience. Because when we think of comedy, we think of, you know, Will Ferrell doing silly things. <laughs> or or I'm just back from a, a, a family trip to Europe. So I'm, you know, I think of, you know, Clark W. Griswold and all of his, you know, <laughs> all of his experiences in Europe, right? That I just lived. When Booker describes it, and I, and I think if you go back to, like you said before, Greek mythology and really look at the comedic archetype, it's really more about the characters sort of experiencing conflict and confusion, getting a little bit lost, struggling to understand what's happening, and then kind of all comes together in the end with some level of clarity and happiness. It's kind of got that you know, classic happy ever after ending. And in that sense, it's more like that sort of romantic comedy where you're not necessarily laughing out loud the whole time. You're kind of smiling while you watch the characters stumble through a bit of chaos. And then you're pleasantly rewarded with them coming together in the end with a happy ending. So for us, where where we've seen this as a valuable archetype is in delving into really fuzzy, hairy, difficult thought leadership topics. So, you know, the big themes of our day that are really, that the clients are struggling to really understand, it's a great archetype to use there. So you think about things like Internet of Things, artificial intelligence, blockchain, you know, these, these big, heady topics that are big topics of conversation, but people really struggle to understand what it is they are and what it is they mean. It's a great archetype to use if you're developing thought leadership to bring clarity to those types of topics to say, okay, we understand there's a ton of confusion out there. Now let's bring you some clarity on what it really means and what it means to you. In fact, we've sort of coached a lot of our clients on some of these big topics. Sometimes the most valuable thing that we as firms can do is take these big, broad, complex topics and just make them relatable and understandable to a very specific type of client we want to attract and apply it to their world. And that's incredibly valuable thought leadership for clients. I love the way you describe that. It is about providing clarity. And I just realized this as you were saying that, and and there may be an opportunity here for me and Prudent Pedal, but it, it just goes to show you how you can always be learning something. I've had multiple people say to me, prospects and, and clients, that when I visited your website and I saw your homepage and you had this line in there that said, stop trying to figure out if your marketing needs to be more strategic or more tactical. The answer is yes. 
because they're like that just summed up exactly what we're thinking what we're thinking we're 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 oh we don't know we're we're chasing our tail we're all lost with that and i've never like built it out as a story type but i've just related to the anxiety and the confusion the comedy of it that you just described because i've seen it so often in firms but i've never built that out in a story type, but there are elements of that in the type of thought leadership that I create. But people like just the fact that I've nailed what it is they're confused about. (laughs) So, so, I mean, just maybe you don't have all the answers, but just saying, hey, I, I see what you're confused about is an opportunity for our listeners. Yeah, no, I think it's a really great example and a really great point. Because I think the notion of a comedic archetype is a little bit off-putting for most firms because they don't really see themselves as necessarily providing humor. And the things that they're doing are so complex and difficult that they that makes them very uncomfortable. But to some extent, one of the things that I like to say is just this idea that your job as a thought leadership marketer is to educate and inform. And one of the best ways to educate and inform is to entertain. So you're entertaining your audience when you say that, right? They get a laugh out of it. They go, yeah, you you hit the point. That's what we're struggling with. We don't know. And you're speaking to that. And that's valuable. It's valuable to entertain someone. It's valuable to educate them. It's valuable to entertain them in order to educate them. My sense is that thought leadership marketers very rarely will embrace that. Mm. Which means there's a huge opportunity for people. So many other firms are not doing it. You're going to stand out. By doing it. And most importantly, you're going to enable the client to learn. You're going to enable the first stage of the buying process for them, which is really what it's all about, right? It's about enabling them to have success, understand the problem they're trying to understand, which ultimately will lead them to your solution eventually, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I like Making that it one. memorable. I, I like that one. I, I would have been just like, like all the others that you, you mentioned. I don't think I want to go down that path, but actually, I think that's a great path to go down. I think it's one of the best opportunities, you know, because when you find that rare piece of thought leadership that both educates you and entertains you all at the same time, the memorability of it goes up dramatically and the applicability of it goes up as well. So anyway. You're listening to Rattle and Pedal, divergent thoughts on growing your professional services firm. Your hosts are Jason Malicki, principal of Rattleback, the marketing agency for professional services firms, and Jeff McKay, former CMO and founder of strategy consultancy, Prudent Pedal. If you find this podcast helpful, please help us by telling a friend and rating us on iTunes. Thank you. Now back to Jason and Jeff. All right. So in the interest of time, I'm going to push us along here. So, so the sixth archetype then, of course, is the inverse of that. It's the tragedy archetype. And oh, I don't hey, know we need to explain that a whole in lot. In the spirit of time, let's just jump over this. I hate tragedies. I can't watch them. My wife loves to watch tragic movies and I got to get up and, and leave. So for the sake of time, can we just move past this? No, we can't. <laughs> and, I and here's why we I can't. Try. Well, so, so here's the thing about the tragedy is that our biggest personal lessons are always from failure, mm-hmm. right? Think about your own experiences in life. You learn more from failing than you ever learn from success. Yeah. So any chance you have as a firm to share failures, it's in your best interest. Now you can share them as lessons learned, you know, when things don't go well. I know for a lot of our clients in the architecture and engineering community, I always told them every single project you touch is going to have failures. 
The client knows that. They're not stupid. They're seasoned buyers. They know that it's going to be chock full of failures. What they want to understand is, is what failures should they expect? What are they going to look like? How do they overcome them? How do they, how do they deal with them when they emerge? And how, how are you going to help them and all that? And so we, we coach them all the time. Bring your failures forward. Bring them forward as lessons learned any chance you can because it's just it's so much more valuable to the client from their learning perspective and also their trust perspective. It just increases the level of trust that the client has in the firm because anytime you see a firm presenting a, you know, a, a nicely wrapped solution to a problem, you, you don't truly believe it's going to go the way they're saying it's going to go. Mm-hmm. So. Now we can skip well, over. <laughs> you know, what bothers me most about the tragedies is when, you know, the character just cannot get out of their own way because of that flaw. And I think there's perhaps a, another marketing lesson in this storyline in terms of, you know, how we select the clients we work with. This is why ideal clients are so important because you want to stay away from the tragic clients that can't get out of their own way. And you can't convince them otherwise. So I think there's your point is a good one. Lot to learn from failure. I know. I think it's diff, I will say difficult to apply, right? Because it's very rare that a client will let you talk about their failures, right? I mean, they don't want to share their failures. Of course not. Why would they? Totally understandable. But I, I, any chance you have is going to create a ton of value. Yeah. Well, these are these are um, kind of post mortem stories. You know, Anderson, yeah. Bear Stern. If you go out and attack a competitor's thinking, I remember of in search of, of excellence or built to last where people said these are the quintessential companies because of these attributes. But when you do a retrospective on them, you go back and say, Oh, no, they weren't because of these fatal flaws. So I think yeah. the. The way to use a tragedy is maybe not for an existing client, but somebody else's client. (laughs) Yeah. And and I also think that sometimes there's lessons to be learned that you can just write about, you know, the failure of XYZ company, Kodak, for instance, or whatever, you know, what, what could they have done differently in the situation they were in? And there's probably a whole litany of thought leadership to be developed around those types of topics. Mm -hmm. All right. So, man, we're running out of time again. Man, we just talk too much. But I guess that's the point of the podcast. Yes, you do. (laughs) (laughs) So the seventh and final archetype is the rebirth. The rebirth is sort of just this idea that in their everyday life, the, the, the protagonist essentially has a chance to be redeemed. They have an opportunity to sort of rethink the way they look at the world and they sort of experience some level of redemption. Um, the classic example of this, of course, is A Christmas Carol, Dickens, you know, novel about, you know, Ebenezer Scrooge and sort of his discovery through the, his learnings of, with all the ghosts and all that. In terms of applying this to firm marketing, to me, it's stories of change management, it's stories of rebranding. Any, any window in time when a company has to go through any meaningful, significant reinvention of itself, repositioning, if the firm is sort of forced to really rethink what it is they do, why they do it, and how they do it, then this is a great archetype to explain what's happening and why it's happening. So that can be done either from the firm's point of view, here's what we're doing and why we're doing it, or it can be done from the consulting firm's point of view saying, hey, here's why we led this client through this rebirth and here's what it looked like and how it worked and here's how to approach it. I like this story line. What I like about it is it's a second chance. 
or maybe a third chance, but it's about redemption. And redemption, without a doubt, is my favorite story theme. And in America in particular, the culture likes to take down leaders, you know, and find something wrong with them, knock them off their pedestal. I don't know why we do that. It's it's horrible, whether it's a politician, an actor. You know why it is, don't you? Why? Because it's the first archetype, overcoming the monster, right? So it's the, the you know, we, we love the, the Cinderella story. We love to see the little guy win. We love to see, you know, we love to see it's, it's NCAA boy tournament time. We love to see that 12 seed knock out the five. Oh my gosh, you know, a 16 seed took out a one. Mm-hmm. Oh my God. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. People love that. They, they, and, and that's really what it is. Well, we hate monopolies. Yes, I get that. I think there's a fine line here in terms of brand and positioning and, and marketing of the redemptive story. One is the repositioning of a firm because of outward conditions. And then there's the reposition because of inward conditions, sometimes both. But I think in you know modern world of social media and the social media stocks, if you will, where you're locked in and everybody comes by and throws tomatoes at your head. <laughs> you, you know, you give uh, I made a mistake. I'm going to go to, you know, some kind of sensitivity or training and then I'll get right back to where I was. That's not to me what this is about. This is about really being given mercy, if you will, and a chance to begin again. And I think this one should be used wisely because I think there's a a lot of, what's the word, responsibility that goes with a rebirth story and telling that story in in a meaningful way. Again, so it's relatable is really important, but I think that could be a very powerful one. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I mean, you know, there's probably very limited instances when a firm would be in a situation where they would need to tell this story. And certainly, they, I think they would also want to step lightly on telling their clients' stories in this way, because obviously their clients don't want to be portrayed as having failed and needing to be reborn. But, you know, in the instances where where it's it's clear, it, you know, obviously, there's, there's a lot of, of value in telling the story in that way. All right. So we've been through all seven. So you have Overcoming the Monster, Rags to Riches, The Quest, The Voyage and Return, Comedy, Tragedy, and we just talked about Rebirth. So if I'm a marketer or a practice leader, I'm finding myself going, okay, how do I choose the right one? How do you choose the right one, Mr. Malecki? (laughs) That's a really, really hard question. I mean, I think it's ultimately situational. The way, the way I've looked at it is that, as you know, we've got sort of our model for how clients buy, right? And there's four stages to that model. And so there's the learning stage, the vetting stage, the discussing stage, and the hiring stage. And the way I look at it is if I'm looking to guide a client through those four stages of buying, what I want to do is I want to start looking at what are the emotional states I expect them to have at each phase along that journey based on whatever problem it is that we're proposing to solve. And then look at those emotional states, look at the type of problem you're solving, and then look at which story archetype most closely aligns with it. So perfect example being, okay, it's, it's fairly easy to recognize when maybe our solution is one 
that is all about changing conventional wisdom. So conventional wisdom says, this is how the market should be thinking about this topic. And our research says otherwise. Okay. So we can apply the overcoming of the monster framework to that. And we might do that because we want to lead clients down the emotional journey that comes with that story archetype. So that's how I tend to look at it is say, what is the relationship between the emotional state you want the client to feel or you expect them to feel? And what archetype is going to do the best job of doing that? And then what are you most comfortable with? I would think those are really helpful. And it's important, as you said, it's situational. And I'll go back to something you said earlier, the hypothesis versus the discovery approach in your your thought leadership kind of presents the situation. I would think that there's also kind of elements of, you know, your firm's strengths and market position might dictate which story line you use, who your ideal client and in terms of worldview or buyer profile could be. One story might resonate more based on who they are, which industries they're in, what their function or level might be. White space in the market might be another thing to look at. Where has this not been done? And we talked a little bit about that around the comedic storyline. Most aren't using that. So maybe is there a way that we could tell a comedic story that could make us Mm -hmm. stand out? And then I think another important element would be the results that your firm has been able to deliver that become proof points to substantiate what you're already saying, where you say, hey, we've seen this in real, real world terms. We're not just talking pie in the sky. We've made it happen. I really like your notion of white space because to your point, so many of the big topics that most firms want to stake out a point of view on these days are just well trodden by so many voices. And how are you going to cut through that noise? So obviously having a a new and compelling point of view is sort of central to that. But then how are you going to tell that point of view in a compelling way, Mm -hmm. in a way that cuts through the chaos and lets someone say, wait a minute, I, I want to listen to these folks over here for one reason or another. So I think it's a really good way of looking at it. Well, we are squarely out of time. In fact, we've probably run over. So I'm going to say we call it a day. And I appreciate you going on this journey with me over the course of the last two episodes. I'm not sure what story archetype we just took people on. Possibly a voyage in return, I suppose. Or number eight, anarchy. <laughs> Lord, of the, Lord of the Flies? Lord of the Flies. <laughs> <laughs> Hope nobody's going to cut me with a bottle. Uh, <laughs> goodbye, Jason. So, <laughs> I'll see you, Jeff. Thank you for listening to Rattle and Pedal, divergent thoughts on marketing and growing professional services firms. Find content related to this episode at rattleandpedal.com. Rattle and Pedal is also available on iTunes and Stitcher.